0: All right, well, all year we're focusing on learning the way of Jesus, and today we're continuing a sermon series on the Ten Commandments, and we have a great command this morning. I've actually really been excited to preach on this for a while now, but this whole, all of the sermon series we're doing this year, under this kind of big umbrella of learning the way of Jesus, are really trying to answer the question, if the gospel is true, how then should we live? Like, what are the implications or the applications of the gospel message on our actual life? Well, there are many different things to say about this. The Bible is full of wisdom and instruction and even commands of God that reveal his will for how we ought to live, not just as individual people, but as families, as communities, and as a society as well. Well, the Ten Commandments, as part of God's moral law, reveal to us um, specifically some of the ways that God wants us to live. Now, ultimately, this new way of life, that we're calling the way of Jesus, it can be summed up by two statements of love, that we are called to learn to love the Lord our God, heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we're called to love our neighbor as ourself. Now, the Ten Commandments are really a law of love. What does it look like to love God and love other people? Well, so far, we've worked through the first three commands of the 10, which focus really on that vertical relationship that we have with the Lord. Number one, you shall have no other gods before me or besides me, says the Lord, the one true God. Number two was you shall not make any image or idol of any created thing for use in worshiping this one true God, Yahweh God. And third, last week we looked at, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God or bear the name of God in a vain or empty way. Well, today we have the final command relating directly to our vertical relationship with God before we move next week out into the more horizontal aspect of our love in relationship to others. Uh, So today we'll consider the, the fourth command, kind of the hinge command that gets us more out into the world, to keep the Sabbath day holy. What does that mean? What is the Sabbath, first of all? How do we keep it holy? What does that even mean? Well, all of these commands in the 10 teach us uh, just profound wisdom for how God intends for our lives to work. But for several reasons, this command, the Sabbath command, is especially hard for us to understand and obey in our modern American Western culture. However, if we learn this countercultural Sabbath way of life, it will not only guard us from a life of overwork, but also from a life of overworry. The reason is because a Sabbath way of life is a life of love and joy and true and lasting peace. Now, who wouldn't want that, right? Well, if you have a Bible or a Bible app, please take that and open it to Exodus chapter 20, verse, starting with verse eight. Exodus 20, verse eight. We'll put it on the screens for you as well. And so let's read through this together, and then we'll go back through and kind of unpack it uh, next. So verse eight. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This is God's word. Well, as we've said, uh, the book of Exodus was written about 4,300 years ago by Moses, the prophet and leader of the ancient people of Israel. And it describes, Exodus describes a key turning point in history when God rescued the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt, entered into a covenant relationship with them, which included giving them the law. Um, thinking about the context of this command, I can't help but wonder how the ancient people of Israel would have thought about how they were to work. For over 400 years, they were slaves in Egypt. And at first, it wasn't so bad. We, re- we read at the end of the book of Genesis uh, that the Lord had put Joseph, who was an Israelite, in the position of being second in command over all of Egypt, second only to Pharaoh or the king of Egypt himself. And the king or the Pharaoh had great respect at that time for Joseph. But when Joseph and and that Pharaoh and all that generation died, later Pharaohs came along and dealt with this, the people of Israel, the Israelites in a much harsher manner. They were treated as slaves. They were abused. They were oppressed. They were used. They were forced to do the work that the Egyptians didn't want to do, which of course was very hard labor. But then because God blessed the people of Israel, even in captivity, they were very fruitful and they multiplied and they grew greatly in number. And this caused the Pharaoh in Moses day to treat the Israelites much worse. They became a threat as, even as an enslaved people. They cried out to the Lord. And so now God had rescued his people, redeeming them from the abuse and the exploitation of their Egyptian masters. But I have to think it must have shaped their view of their work. Spending 400 plus years in this experience. I have to think, I have to imagine that this would have given the people of Israel some unhealthy and unhelpful attitudes about their work. I'm sure that it did. Now, one thing I know for sure is that God would not want his people to simply carry all of their cultural attitudes and beliefs uh, uh, toward their work into the promised land. We are not to work thoughtlessly or carelessly, just like we're not to do anything in life with that attitude. So just as God was establishing a totally new way of relating to him in life, in worship, in covenant relationship. So I'm sure he would want them to learn a new way of relating to him in their work and their rest as well. So the slaves would have have to learn how to live as free people. But this is much more difficult than you might imagine. Let's look back at verse eight. The Lord says, "'Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy.'" Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Okay, so let's, let's just pause here. So first, the Hebrew word, uh, where we get the word Sabbath, it's a transliteration, meaning it's, it's, we're coming up with a, a word that's as close to the Hebrew word as we can in the English. And it literally means to cease, to stop, or to rest. So to Sabbath means to stop working, stop doing, the fourth command of the 10 is to remember the Sabbath day, or to remember a day of ceasing, of resting, the Lord says, by keeping it holy. Now, we'll come back to that concept. What does it mean to keep a day holy? Well, first, first, obedience to this command is what established a seven-day week almost universally uh, by the time of the Roman Emperor Constantine, because of the teaching of this command. This command is why we have today a seven-day week. Now, it's interesting because thinking about time, well, it's interesting to me because I'm a nerd but, and some of you, but thinking about time, we measure a day based on what? On the rotation of the earth on its axis, right? One full rotation is, is about a day. We measure a year based on a single orbit of the earth around the sun. But there is no astrological basis for a seven-day week. Um, There's nothing in the movement of the planets or the stars that would give us that measurement of time. Ancient Egypt followed a 10-day week, while other cultures had different ways of tracking time, different calendars. Well, at any rate, the Lord made it clear that his people would labor and do all their work in six days, but on the seventh day, they would rest. Now, this day was to be a Sabbath to the Lord your God, a rest day to the Lord. I think that's interesting language. The first command was really unique because at this time, as we've said, almost everyone everywhere believed in many gods, a pantheon of gods. It was a polytheistic way of life. There were many gods and goddesses. But for Israel, they believed as a result of this First command, they believed that there was only one true and living God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. That would mark those people, the Israelites, out as different or weird, as we've said, Uh, culturally weird. Now, the second command was unique, again, because at this time, almost everyone everywhere used some sort of image or created thing for use in worship, whether it was a a little shrine in your house or whether it was a, a, a statue in a temple. But then Israel believed, as a result of the second command, that this was not an appropriate way to worship God. Now here, even the way that they were to measure time and balance their work and their rest was going to be different than many of their neighbors. And it was going to be totally unique in that it was based on their relationship with this Yahweh God who had revealed himself in history and had rescued a people for himself from Egypt. So let's keep going with verse 10. It says, On it, the Sabbath day, you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter nor your male or female servant nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. Okay, so the whole nation, everybody, including, this is radical for both for that time and today, uh, including everyone, including servants or people of lower social class, including children, people of of maybe lower uh, rights or privileges um, of age, certainly, and foreigners, people who, had come from other countries immigrants or refugees people who were there maybe traveling on business who may have radically different religious beliefs than the people of Israel even they weren't to be taken advantage of on the, on the sabbath day but they were to rest as well even and it kind of seems maybe odd to us but even their animals needed a day off and the animal kingdom was to have a sabbath to the lord in israel now that's interesting it, it seems to me like the whole place was supposed to be like Chick-fil-A, closed on Sundays, right? Okay, to be fair, at this time, Sunday was considered the first day of their week. So Chick-fil-A back then would have been closed on Saturdays. Uh, the, the Sabbath was celebrated by the Jewish people from Friday evening through Saturday evening as the final day of their week. Now, uh, it was more than just one business, of course, this concept of a Sabbath day. It was supposed to be uh, one of the, the defining characteristics of the people of Yahweh God, of the society that God was forming, or maybe reforming and redeeming. Now, even if you weren't born into this community or into the family biologically of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Uh, You were still invited into this Sabbath rest. But why? Why is it so important to God as a practice for God's people? Well, we're given a reason here in verse 11, because this is how God works. Look back at verse 11. For, here's the explanation. Why? Why? Well, because in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the Sabbath day, the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Okay. So here Moses refers back to the story of creation found in Genesis chapter one, which ends at the beginning of chapter two, where God creates all things from nothing by, by his powerful and creative word. I'd love to preach a, t- take a little time and preach a whole message on that. That's a sermon for another day. But in the beginning, it says in Genesis 1, God created the heavens and the earth, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. That starts a, a pattern in creation in Genesis 1. The text uh, then is broken into three days. The first three days are forming. The second three days follow a pattern of filling Followed by the seventh day, which is a day of rest, where God seems to sit back and judge his work as being very good. This is good. This is very good. But why does God work in this way? Is God somehow bound to a seven-day work week? Is he bound by time? The answer is no, of course not. Yahweh God is transcendent. He is above his creation. He's the creator, and we are the creatures. He is outside of time and space. God doesn't need six days to do anything. He could have created all things instantly and probably could have used a variety of different means if he wanted to. Many people over the years have raised the question of how you can even speak of a day before there is an earth to rotate on its axis. And that's a good question. Time itself is part of God's creation. Now, this means that the six days of work followed by a day of rest in Genesis 1 wasn't the pattern of creation for God. It was the pattern of work for us. God chose to work in this way in order to model for us how he would want us to do our work as well. And then here in the Ten Commandments, God commands his people to work and to rest just as he had demonstrated or modeled. Now, the ancient uh, Babylonian people, were, they were another people with a seven-day week around this time in history. But their creation story could not have been more different than the creation account in Genesis Because the Babylonians, uh, similar to many other peoples around the world and in history, envisioned the creation of of our reality, of the world, of this universe, as the result of a bloody conflict or a battle between the gods. But the story in Genesis is very different. Creation doesn't come from violence, it doesn't come from conflict but from a God who intentionally works like a master craftsman forming the world like a potter forms a sculpture or like an artist as he spoke this poem of creation. God is not in conflict, but in heavenly peace and complete self-sufficiency When he does so, he's not annoyed with his creation as in other creation accounts, but he created it and us to enjoy that same loving community, the beauty and the goodness that God himself has enjoyed for all eternity. So how different would it be for you to see the world, to see reality, uh, The basis for all things, not as a battle or a conflict or the result of violence, but as an invitation to join the life-giving work, the life itself of God, where we might enjoy and find great meaning and purpose in our work as well. And it is here that we gain a key insight in the biblical story regarding our work and our rest work is not a product of the fall to sin some of you do not want to say amen to that statement <laughs> like, you don't know my job you don't know my coworkers, you don't know what I do for for a living it's like well yeah no I, I get it originally it wasn't part of the fall work is not inherently sinful or wrong it's not inherently evil a big part of why we are here and what our purpose is in life is to do the good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. To work like how God works and, and, to, and how does God work? But he speaks light into darkness. He brings order to chaos and he brings flourishing life out of places where there is no life. This is how God works, and, and we can do this kind of work too. We can do this kind of work whether we're paid to do it or not, paid or unpaid. We can do this kind of work, this godly work, whether we're in the home or out in the marketplace or somewhere around the world. We can do this type of work in almost any industry, in education or health care in government, in business, and so many other things that are worth doing in the world. So the fourth command is a reminder to remember this story and to remember our, the aspect this aspect of our purpose and our meaning and to remember our great God whose work has resulted in creating and sustaining our very life and breath even now. It was his work to make the heavens and the earth. It was his work to make the seas and the skies. It was his work both here and out into the farthest reaches of our universe. But even more, it is an invitation and a command to rest and enjoy our relationship with God. To stop our activity, to cease, to rest, to Sabbath. To stop our routines, to stop our frantic striving and say thank you. We praise you together as his people. Now after the first command, the the second, third, and fourth commands help shape how we relate to this Yahweh God in relationship to him. We are to worship him and him alone. And we are to be careful and thoughtful and respectful of him to him and in representing him to other people. And now here in this command we need to we see that we need to take time every week to rest and enjoy him and remember all that he has done and all that he has promised to do for us as people. Now you might wonder why would this need to be a command? I mean If it's so good, and if it's so what we need as human beings, like how we were designed to function, why would we need to be commanded to do it? I command you to rest and enjoy me, says the Lord. (laughs) Why would God have to do that? If it's such a blessing, wouldn't we naturally prioritize this in our weekly routines? I mean, wouldn't we long for this? Wouldn't we think about uh, the Sabbath day throughout the week as we do our work? Well, I think the answers relate to the fact that this world is no longer perfectly good. The story, the unfolding story of the Bible is that even though God created all things and they were good and they were perfect and they were right and they were just, it it didn't stay that way for very long. So ever since the fall to sin, everything in life is to some degree affected by the power of sin and death. And this relates to our work as well, in and outside the home. Our work is not always perfectly fruitful or perfectly fulfilling. Sometimes our work is incredibly frustrating and painful. Amen. Right? It's stressful. Sometimes there are deadlines. Sometimes we're put in positions that we don't feel like we're qualified to do. Sometimes our positions don't work out. Sometimes we find ourselves looking for another job or even another career and feeling lost in the process. Like, Lord, what is happening in my life? Where are you leading me? Is this the wilderness or what? But not only that, But we are a forgetful people. In our finite nature as human beings, we have a hard time remembering and keeping at the front of our minds what matters the most of who God is and what he has done for us, particularly in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So we're we're not suggested to balance our work and our rest. We are commanded to do this and if we don't, we, if we ignore this, the reality of how we have been created to live and to work, we do so at our own peril. I've used this example in the past, but I think that it really helps me understand how this makes sense. If the Lord created us, and he created us with a particular purpose in mind, particular functions for us to do, to, to take care of in this world. And if we don't live according, in alignment with those that created purpose, then stuff's gonna start to break. The example that I typically think of is if you have like a Toyota Prius, nice vehicle, right? Not designed for off-roading, right? If you take a, your Toyota Prius and you just start driving it as the crow flies across the field, stuff's going to start to fall off. You may not make it. Okay, breakdown will happen and it's your fault. It's not the fault of the designers. It's not the fault of the engineers. It's not the fault of the people that built it. You're using it wrong. Well, so in the same way, when we fail to live in alignment with how we have been created and what we have been created for stuff starts falling off it doesn't go well to make matters worse our culture today has has made an idol out of productivity we love to get stuff done i mean i love to get stuff done i know you many of you do too you feel good it feels so so psychologically satisfying to check off boxes even if it isn't really even that important. It just feels good to check off those boxes. But our culture worships productivity. It's the false god that so many people around us, and maybe some of us, are tempted to worship and to serve with our lives. When we are not productive, we start to... Fear starts to grow. Panic starts to grow. We're driven to look for stuff to do because we are not able to just stop. Now, this idol leads all of us to feel the cultural pull towards overworking. Working and working without really ever stopping to rest and enjoy our relationship with God. This leads directly to all sorts of physical and mental health issues. Not to mention spiritual issues. The truth is, is if you never stop by choice, you will stop not by your choice. If you never stop, eventually you'll crash and you'll burn out. And this is not good. It's not good for you, and it doesn't honor the Lord either with our time or our health to work and work and ignore the Sabbath. And this is true. I'm preaching to myself here. This is, this is true even if your work is to do ministry for the Lord. In Psalm 23, it says this. this is, Psalm 23 is so wonderful. But it starts out by saying, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. If we believe that, it would fix a lot of our tendency to overwork. He makes me, he makes me lie down. Is that like commanding you to rest or what? He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. Okay, so we kind of like focus on the last part of that. Oh, he refreshes my soul. How? By making me lie down. By leading me where sometimes I do not want to go. Why does he have to do this? Well, because in our sin and our fear and our struggles, we so often refuse to stop and to rest and to Sabbath. But in the kindness and the mercy of the Lord, who is the good shepherd of our lives, who knows how we have been made because he is the one who made us. The one who understands us more than we ever could. He makes us, he commands us, not to control us, but to help us live in the freedom and the love and the joy and the peace that he intended from before creation. Now finally, as we consider how to obey this command today, as followers of Jesus, we have to realize that Jesus is actually the Lord of the Sabbath. In him and only in him are we able to find our rest, true and lasting rest, rest for our souls. St. Augustine famously wrote that our souls are restless and they will continue to be until we find our rest in him. But it's because of his perfect life And it's because of his sacrificial death on the cross for the sins of the world. And it's because of his victorious resurrection from the dead. In other words, it's because of the work of Jesus and the fact that he has already accomplished everything we need for life and for love and for salvation. It is because of these things that in Jesus and by faith in Jesus, all people... Everywhere, including you, no matter what you've done or what has been done to you, no matter who you are or what you have believed up until this point, all are invited into the rest of Jesus. Now, in the Gospels, Jesus was clear that there's a way to celebrate the Sabbath in a legalistic way which totally misses the point. It's a danger even to this day. I don't hear a lot of it from you, thankfully. Thank you. I see a lot of it on Twitter. And it hurts my heart. But back in Jesus' day, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of his day, they often looked down on people. They condemned people. They burdened people. In fact, they looked down on Jesus himself for doing things like healing people on the Sabbath. They didn't get it. And Jesus, who's amazing, provoked them directly in this misunderstanding. He he corrected their understanding of this commandment. They had, they had made an invitation to rest and enjoy and find and be restored and find peace. In in their relationship with God, they had actually made it all about the specific rules and requirements of what you could or couldn't do, how many steps you could walk, and whether or not that would that would count as work and so forth. Totally misses the point. No one enjoys that. No one rests in that. That sounds exhausting. Jesus corrected them by saying that the Sabbath was meant to serve and be a blessing to us, to the people of God, not the other way around. We are not designed to serve the Sabbath. So today, how are we doing with this? Do we have weekly rhythms of work and rest? You have to sleep every day. You have to Sabbath every week. These are things that God knows that we need as our creator. Do we prioritize worship? Do we have a day set aside to remember and celebrate who God is and what he has done for us? Now, this is what it means to keep the Sabbath day holy. Part of what it means to be holy is to set something or to set someone apart or aside or as special for the Lord's use. So a bowl that was meant to be used in worship back in the tabernacle or temple was said to be holy. It was consecrated. It was set apart for the Lord's use. Now here the Lord is commanding us to set apart a day to stop and rest and enjoy our relationship with the Lord. Now, Christians today, we meet in general on Sundays, um, not on Saturdays anymore, because Jesus rose from the grave on a Sunday. And so, ever since, we've continued to meet on a Sunday. But that is not commanded Sunday morning at 10 a.m. is a common time for a lot of churches in, around the world to meet and to gather and to worship the Lord and to enjoy Him and to sing His praises and to rest in our relationship with Him together as a people. But if it's Sunday afternoon or if it's Tuesday evening or if it's, if it's you know, Thursday at 6 a.m., it doesn't matter, really. What matters is that we prioritize weekly stopping ceasing, resting. The world will continue to spin if you take a break. (laughs) We are not God. If he takes a break on us, we're doomed. But we can take a break. If you never stop to rest and enjoy the Lord, you will worry a lot. Stop. Rest. He is commanding you to. He is making you lie down in green pastures because it is for your good. It's for our joy. It's a way to glorify God. It's a way to reflect our trust and our enjoyment of him outward into the world around us. May we be a people who can rest well in Jesus. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you so much that you you care so much about us. You care about how we live our lives. You care about how we do our work. You care about how we even rest from our work. Lord, we thank you and we praise you and we enjoy you today because of who you are and all that you have accomplished through your son and your spirit. So, Father, I pray for all of us. I pray your, your wisdom and discernment uh, be given to us so that we in our, all of our various uh, industries, our careers, our jobs, our paid and unpaid work, all the things, the activity, the good things that you have prepared in advance for us to do, I pray, Lord, that you give us wisdom and discernment to be able to do those things in a way that brings you glory, honor, and praise. But, Father, I also pray for the fruitfulness of our labor. That the work that we would do would result in good things. That our work would result in light being spoken into darkness and order being brought to chaos and, and flourishing life in places where there is no life. Father, thank you for this high calling on our lives. Lord Jesus, thank you for securing our rest and inviting us into your rest by faith. Holy Spirit, thank you for reminding us, speaking to us in our innermost being and reminding us that we can stop, that we can take a break, that not everything in the world will fall apart, that we could actually have peace here and now, even in a world that is marked by frantic busyness. We love you and we pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.